new music industry podcast, and I'm David Andrew Let's dig in. Today I'm joined by Royal Legal Solutions, Scott Smith. How are you today, Scott? Hey, having a great day today, man. How's everything going with you? Not bad at all. It's been a crazy day, but I'm looking forward to this conversation. So today we're going to be looking at something that has yet to be discussed on the podcast, but could be one of the most important aspects of running and growing a rock-solid business, which is the legality of running your business. Now, some of you might be starting to tune out already, but maybe when you hear this stat, you'll begin to pay more attention. Over 90% of corporations will be sued in the U.S. So, Scott, please elaborate on this. How can we protect our companies fully? Yeah, well, you just got to know that if you're in an active business that you should anticipate a lawsuit. Um, and, and the reason why is not because most people are shysty or anything like that. It really has to do with just people having disagreements about, uh, you know, what they think they agreed to and then, you know, whatever's on the piece of paper, right? And then, then now you have a lawsuit because people get angry. So to really think like you're never going to be sued is really to say like everybody I do business with like for forever is always going to love me no matter what. I'm never going to be angry with them. Like that's silly. Right. So what we, um, you know, Royal Legal Solutions, we, we principally are working a lot with real estate investors because those have huge amounts of capital tied up into assets and what do they need to be doing with their uh, with their portfolios of assets in combination with litigation protection. Um, but for everybody in your audience, you know, you really got to think about, um, you know, what's like a what are the really simple things that you could be doing uh, immediately um, to just take you from, you know, having zero protection into having, you know, some protection. And the, and the best way to do that would just be like, you know, at a minimum, just like a simple even one to two LLCs uh, would take you from, you know, uh, having nothing and to having a very high level of protection if you if you use them correctly. Hmm. Now, this is something I'm sure people are wondering a bit, but does this apply to online business just as much as a brick and mortar business? Oh yeah, for sure, right? Like websites get sued just like anything else, mm-hmm. right? Like they'll get you can get sued for you know all types of compliance issues, like with people's credit cards. You know, did you put up like uh, music that would have like copyrights attached to it, and now people want to sue you over it? Um, you know, there we live in the most litigious, like you know, lawsuit happy country in the world. Yeah. Um, so. The, the really the right way to do it, no matter whether it's a brick and mortar or whether it's online, you know, Royal Legal Solutions is online. You know, it's a huge online, you know, law firm. We help people all across the country, um, no matter where they live. And, you know, that was one of the things that we looked at initially, too, was our own asset protection, which was we compartmentalize everything that we have that's worth anything, all of the IP, you know, domains, graphics, like everything all belongs to a separate asset holding company. And Royal Legal Solutions is really an operating company. It doesn't own anything, but it conducts all of the business. It signs all the contracts and does all the customer interface. So if anybody ever decides to sue us, you know, it's Royal Legal Solutions is the one that did business with them, right? Well, that's the one that um, doesn't own anything, so we're happy for them to sue it all day long. And all the assets of the company are protected, you know, in a separate company, asset holding company. And that's what I recommend every business owner to do is you need to separate all of your assets into one company, um, you know, a company that owns everything but manages nothing. And then you need a completely separate company that manages everything but owns nothing. Okay. So you kind of hinted at it. Would you be able to sort of paint us a picture of the specific steps it would take to fully protect your company? Yeah. I mean, it's really simple, right? It's, It's really just you spin up two LLCs. 
you can form those up any way you want to, right? I mean, if you can't afford to hire an attorney, go to LegalZoom. Hmm. You know, that's better. Maybe it'll work, right? <laughs> if you can't afford it, but it's better than just the absolute, I'm not going to try anything at all. Better approach. than nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because maybe it'll work. You never know, right? <laughs> so, um, so uh, and then what you do is then you take all of your, your personal wealth and your, you know, uh, you know, rights to any of the intellectual property you have or whatever, and you're going to hold that in, you know, uh, you know, asset holding company A, right? Asset holding company A is, is just a normal LLC. And then you'll have, you know, the second LLC that you're going to spin up um, is going to be uh, what's going to be called an operating company, and that's a shell company. It's not going to own anything, but that's the one you're going to sign all of your contracts with. If you, like, hire people for any reason to help you with anything, you always conduct it through that other shell company, um, and it becomes really simple because all you're doing anytime that you're interacting with anybody in the world is you're like, oh, I use my LLC for that to sign contracts or do anything with it, right? And anytime you're having stuff that you make money or that you buy assets or whatever, uh, that's all just going to be held inside of your other asset holding company that you never do business out of, but it just holds everything for you. So it's really simple in the way you like actually set that up. Um, and, um, and, and navigating though, like how to do that is something that, you know, a company like myself can, you know, help you from like the ground up. How do you actually do that? If you, you know, don't want to, uh, you know, try to do it on your own, but you know, more power to you if you want to do it on your own. Right. Um, like I don't think there's anything necessarily like quote unquote special or magical about attorneys like in any way. Yeah. Um, but like really it's just kind of like one of those deals. Like, do you want somebody else to turn the wrench for you? Because you know, we've done it a few times and so we can make sure it's done right, you know, but I think anybody really like realistically, like you can learn anything you want to in the, in the internet age, right? If you just spend the time to do it. Yeah, true enough. It's just about making the time. I sometimes get questions that I think are a little bit ridiculous because they could be easily Googled, but maybe, maybe <laughs> that's the value I'm presenting. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but I guess if it's a question I, I feel like I can answer in a, in a good way, then I'm happy to do it that way. But I definitely know what yeah, you mean. For sure. This is something I'm wondering if you've dealt with. Maybe you've had a few questions, people asking about this. I'm not sure how much you, you've dealt with it yourself uh, if your clients are mostly in the U.S. But what about this whole thing about GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, which came into effect May 25th? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that we're really focused on, you know, just the domestic, you know, asset protection pieces, you right. know, for, for what people are doing, right? And so, we really like really limit the scope of what we're doing is in terms of like what's actually the practicalities of lawsuits, right? And and how do how does the litigation game get played out uh, from attorneys? And then how do we make sure that in- attorneys have no incentive to sue us because they can't find out what we own and then we don't actually own anything, so they can't get anything from us because everything we own is owned by another company. Um, that's really the the scope of what we're we're looking at. Gotcha. I just thought I would ask because I'm sure it's maybe fresh in people's memory, especially if they're if they have an online business and they've had to deal with the fact that oh yes, I do have data from people in Europe, and now I have to figure out how I'm going to properly protect it and implement it and all that kinds of stuff. But uh, I appreciate uh, it. It's a whole rat's nest, you know, and like what you need to do with that. And I'm sure there's going to be a ton of money we all have to end up spending on compliance because of it. Yes. You know. Yeah. So, I mean. What are you going to do, right? The good news is, is that it's so pervasive of a problem. Is like, okay, well, who's actually going to come after you for it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's one of the good things about really big problems is that they're like they're so big that they're like, okay, well, 
you know, it's like online piracy, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know it's like super wrong and like the penalties are horrible, but like who is actually coming after you for online piracy, you know? So, well, I don't know. yeah, same question I had. First of all, who's going to enforce it? And second of all, I'm sure their targets are going to be mostly bigger companies before they ever yeah. bother or because even think about going over the same thing. Like, as, as any assuming smaller companies, like for what you look at, is like everybody always chases the big money, right? Yes. And that applies for like governments looking for regulations that they want to enforce. They, that's how like those politicians make careers for themselves is by doing massive litigations, right? And it's the same thing for attorneys when you're looking at small business owners is that everybody's still looking for the money, right? Like there's one thing in this world we know is true is that, the, you know, the gold makes the rules and also the gold usually drives people's decision making. So what, you know, what those bigger companies should be doing too is as the same types of strategies that I would be recommending for everybody in general, right? Is that they should be operating through shell companies, have their assets, you know, protected, either domestically or in their case, they might even look to protect them overseas because they can afford to, right? And that's even you know, crazy higher levels of protection. Then you see guys like GE and AOL doing all that stuff. But just the basics of this, of how it works for, um, you know, separating the assets of the company, assets from the operations is something that we can all do. We can all do it easily. And it, it really separates everybody from like classes above, um, everybody else here domestically that really just does nothing. I mean, most people have that I work with have a ton of money, um, and they have no protection. They're like, oh, I got like, I got this money in the bank, and I own these assets. They're all in my name, and I think my insurance is enough to protect me. I'm like, no, like insurance only protects you against negligence. It doesn't protect you against like breach of contracts, allegations of fraud, hmm. anything else. Like you got into a car accident that exceeds the limits of liability of your insurance coverage. And for like so little amount of money in the grand scheme of things, you can just wipe off like all the levels of risk because you'd have like insurance in your life that protects you against 80% of the stuff that can go wrong. And then once you put in a company structure, that's like the other 20% of the protection. And so now you're essentially litigation proof from anybody being able to sue you after the end of the day, which is, I think is pretty cool because now you're just like chilling, making money, doing your thing, not even worrying about lawsuits. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's good to protect yourself, but definitely, you know, follow the money trail. <laughs> don't. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Always. Yeah. Don't be, uh, don't be, you know, too lackadaisical in not setting up proper protection. But yeah, look at the money trail for sure. Now, I'm not working a nine to five anymore. In fact, I've only ever been a part time or casual employee, but I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who do have a day job and income outside of it. So how can we invest tax free and increase returns by 20% automatically? Yeah, so what you it's actually is going to it's only really available for people that have non W2 income. Mm. Right. So if you're a 1099 employee, um, this is going to be something that's going to apply to you. Uh, because what you can end up doing as you set up your own like LLC that we were just talking about. And then what you're able to do is become an employee of your own LLC as the sole employee of the company and set up with something that's called a solo 401k. And here's how crazy this is. You can take $50,000 of money that you would have made like as profits, right? And in, in doing your job and you can take it all tax free into a solo 401k. Then you can loan yourself up to half of the value so now you can like loan, say for the fifty grand, you get your twenty five thousand dollars of tax, pre tax money that you can spend on whatever you want, 
And then you have another $25,000 that's held in solo 401k that you can use for like investing and whatever you want to invest in. And you can, you know, invest in all kinds of things, right? I mean, even up to businesses. So you really could, you know, like I, I have some of my friends that I set this up with that, that that's what they made. Their, their whole yearly income was 50 grand. And, and now they're like, all right, well, they live off of like the 25000 That's like pre-tax dollars. And they're still like socking away $25,000 a year because they can live off of $25,000 as long as it's tax-free. You know, it's post-tax dollars. They still owe the money to the 401k, but they're like, I'm definitely going to worry about that in like 30 years <laughs> and not worry about it today, um, which is risky, right? But, you know, everybody's trying to make a living, right? So, and, and trying to make it by. So, they're, but you don't have to do it that way and live that kind of lifestyle, right? I mean, all of my real estate investor clients take advantage of it. I mean, anybody that has 299 income, it's like a no brainer, right? Because it's, it costs you like maybe like $1,000 or so to set up. Um, and then you just have all these crazy tax advantages that fall out on the back end for like no work. You just shuffle the money around and set up the structure and you're done. Hmm. That's pretty amazing. And yeah, it seems like there often are certain tax benefits to being an employee, but what about like self-employed or entrepreneurs? Is there some advantages to being set up that way? No, like none really. Like no. I'm talking about for a tax from a tax perspective yeah from a tax perspective you you ideally don't ever want to be um like have a pass-through entity like no entity structure is really bad like everybody that's an entrepreneur what you would typically want to do is set up an s corporation um take all of the income that you're making from it as an employee of your own corporation save yourself the 15 percent from the self-employment taxes that otherwise you're paying so that gets you like 15 percent right off the bat just doing that and then once you take that structure and then roll that into a solo 401k, you can take up to the first you know $50,000 of income you made that year and have it all tax-free. So now like your taxable nut is like super small because you just saved your 15% and you just put $50,000 off the taxable table uh, to be able to go with in the beginning of it. So that's really the way we should all be doing it if you're, if you're you know, uh, what do you call it? If you're self-employed, right, or you're a 1099. You know, self-employed, right? The employee status I'm talking about with an S-corp is it's like a technical employee. It's like your own S-corp, right? And you're the only employee. So it's just like a little funny game that gets played with uh, with the tax code there, right? You, you could call it like a loophole or something like that, but it's really not. I mean, that, that's just the way it's written. And, and everybody in the real estate investing game is already doing this. So it's, it's not like it's even something that's like Scott's grand vision of strategy, right? <laughs> this is just anybody that's in the know, that's read a couple of books into this stuff would know the same things. Gotcha. Okay. I appreciate that clarification. I have a friend in Japan who is an attorney, but he's also helped establish companies and raise funds for them. So how do our attorney, attorneys think about startups? How should we set ourselves up for success and security? Yeah, well, Royal Legal Solutions is actually technically, I mean, I still feel like it's a startup. Mm -hmm. um, it's like four years old. Um, but like the growth that we've had in the last six months, like we like four X in the last six months. So we still have all of the startup pains. And reality of the startup game, and from my perspective looking back, is like don't spend any money until you have to yeah. on to a lot of the stuff that I do. Because it's really about what is my capital like, where's my capital that I can draw from to be able to increase my runway? Um, 
but then once you actually start making money, then it, it starts to shift a little bit, right? Because now you're actually trying to say, like, I'm not really just in, like, the make or break it, and my runway's going to go, and I'm dead. It's like, nah, it's, it's really now about, well, how can I have steady growth because I have income? Um, and then once you start going to that, and once you're in that scenario, then you have to start doing legal and tax planning because now it pays to actually put time and money in into like making sure your bookkeeping is right in case you're audited and you know making sure that you're taking advantage of all your tax pieces that you can be doing um, but really like you should probably I'd say the number one thing is uh, if you can help avoid it is try to keep like everybody as a contractor status like in any way that you can like make sure you're compliant with the law right mm-hmm. um, but like if you can structure your employment around make your business work around having contractors, you'll save yourself like 20 to 30% in overhead for your most expensive assets, which is almost always your own, your manpower. Hmm. Now, what sort of missteps do people make when scaling their business and how can they avoid them? Yeah, do you want to know all the missteps I've made? Sure. <laughs> that would be helpful, I think. <laughs> do you want to air all of the dirty laundry of what this is like trying to grow this company? Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just because we had such we've had such huge growth, um, and one of the problems with having like a big growth in an industry that I think we're going to be able to monopolize in the next couple of years um, is uh, is that you keep breaking everything, right? Because your vision of what you need to build can only go so far. So um, if you're growing at the rate that we're growing at then you put together new systems and then two months later like your systems break because you just you've overloaded it right so then you have to revamp a new system um so what i what i'd like to tell what i would definitely recommend for everybody is sandbox everything um while you're creating it inside of something that's a really easy tool like Excel spreadsheets and Google Docs, right? And sandbox everything out of there while you're revamping in. Like, with, um, don't jump in into anything that's going to be uh, like boxing you in on what your systems need to look like. Um, like jumping too quickly to a HubSpot or something like that, right? Or Salesforce or whatever. Um, wait until you can actually know exactly what your systems need to look like, and then do like big. Then do like a rollout of like a tech piece to save you um like time and money and speed on that end of it but like every business is so different on what the sales like the sales cycle and process needs to look like that i would try to push off tech for as long as i can until it's just really way too burdensome and then i have to implement a technical solution i think everybody right now is way too fast on implementing technological solutions to create efficiency before they really have like a good understanding of their business and their processes Huh, that's really interesting because I think most people would be thinking, oh, I really need to be like agile, right? I need to be able to switch things out quickly, be able to adapt quickly, move on to the next thing to make my business more efficient, more effective, more automated. But what you're saying is don't do that until you have the core structure in place. Yeah, well, it's because where do you think you're actually moving dials, bro? Yeah. Like, are you moving dials because you automated that email? You know, probably not. No. You know, and, and so the the issues that things what people are doing, what I see time and time again out here in Austin anyway, is um, I like how this has become more of like an entrepreneurial like tech startup talk than, a, than anything has to do with law, which is great. Yeah. I like talking about tech stuff more anyway. Um, is uh, it, What I see time and time again here is that it's really sexy uh, for everybody to get together to talk about like, hey, what program are you using for this and that? And here's what we set up over here. But then... 
what I find is like everybody gets caught up in this really what's the fun talk of what's happening inside of their business instead of focusing on like like the one core thing is like what experiments am I running right now that um, lets me get to know my customer more to be able to know exactly how I need to pitch them and what are the exact products that they need and what are their problems, right? And that's what I'm sandboxing. I'm saying don't worry about tech solutions until you can like have that narrowed down that you know, like I know where these people live, I know it, whether they drink whole milk or 2% milk, I know what's going on in their life. Um, and so I know exactly what it is that I need to tell them to pitch them and what exactly those products need to look like for them to be like, holy smokes, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. Because I, my personal intuition and my feeling is, is that unless I have a product that I can tell people about and they're like, wow, I've been looking for this my entire life and this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard of and I have to have it, then I need to keep iterating on my product. Mm-hmm. You know, that's totally a fair point because I had my coach come on the podcast and he's always saying your number one priority as a business owner is to create an offer that converts. And the reason is because if you don't have an offer that converts, you don't have a business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. So. And if you have an amazing product, then everything else can kind of be really not so great and you'll still be fine. But it's really hard to take a mediocre product and then make a business out of it because then everything else has to be perfect because the playing field, everybody is already in there. But if you stay inside of your creative space for long enough, you'll create a product that is so is very amazing that you'll change the dynamic of like where everybody else is playing and then everybody else has to catch up, but they really can't because they don't have the creativity to be able to get where you're at. And then you can figure out all the technical pieces and, you know, which I use in FusionSoft for this or HubSpot for that or whatever, like all, you know, when you're already there. Yeah. And sometimes I have seen the opposite work in the sense that, okay, people will go and create an audience through their content on their blog and on their website, and then they will sell something to them. The product could be just about anything, but because the audience loves that personality or the content so much, they just buy it no matter what doesn't mean it creates a great you, reputation if it's a bad product though well and you might also think about like the person's personality is actually their product yes not actually the thing they're selling and mm. so that's what they iterated better than everybody else to be able to stand out with it and that's why people are buying right so i mean there, there'd probably be some different ways you could chop that up depending on how you want to look at it that, that's really interesting speak more to that what how do we sell personality well uh, well, you, <laughs> I think who, who are the guys that are doing this best right now, right? Uh, it's Pat like Flynn, the, Gary I, v. I, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like I know billionaires. They text me on my phone all the time. I get guys that pitched me in marketing meetings like that all the time. You know, they want to pitch me for a new thing. Like, oh yeah, I got billionaires that text me and stuff all the time. And you know, I'd be happy to sit down with you and, and help you with your branding and whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, I and my. I don't know. I, I think that's what a lot of guys have done and they've had success with it. I really don't understand a lot of it. And Me either. honestly, I'm too big of a nerd to really want to do it, you know, because like I get off on ideas and like what can we actually build and do. And I don't really get off on like I want to shoot a video with me in a Ferrari and tell everybody how great oh. I am. Cause I just kind of feel like a douche whenever I do it. Like, I've been thinking about doing that. I'm always like, ah, that's so stupid. You know, but but for some guys it really works, right? And like the audience they play to, I've talked to a lot of um, those people that follow those guys like religiously and whatever. And mm -hmm. what you find is that it's a ton of hype and like the mm -hmm. mind of the audience to like get them excited to buy stuff. But the the actual drive for a lot of those guys to really make a splash in doing something 
really isn't there. And it's because it's really easy to get excited about business until you realize that like, oh, the actual part of running a business and building a business is like 90% of chewing glass on stuff or, or hopefully yeah. a little bit less. But like, it's really like, it, it the very beginning is super fun, which is what gets you into it. And mm -hmm. then like slowly, like you get sprinkles of fun as you just have tons of work you have to do. And then you just keep getting dreaming about like, oh, there's a light at the other side of the other end of that tunnel. And then like you remind yourself that it's like, no, there's not really, because once you get to that side of the tunnel, you're gonna be like, well, how do I actually do I grow this again? How do I double this again? And you're just gonna throw yourself back into the same cycle of torment with small sprinkles of happiness around like what it is that you're building that seems like it's a lot of fun and a lot of it is just like a ton of work. And at the end of it though, you get something that's better than happiness, in my opinion. You get something that's called fulfillment. Fulfillment. Mm. And fulfillment is what is what you get. But you don't get happiness. And so it's not that's not the right thing to chase, I don't think. No, I can testify to what you said for sure. And I don't want to sway anyone's opinion one way or the other. I don't really believe in, in that whole movement of let's sell success. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm standing in front of a Lamborghini talking about reading books. Okay, great. Uh, I guess that's how you found your success is telling people about reading books. I don't really understand it, so I don't try to understand it. Nah, it's not my thing. I mean, I, the most I, w I think I was willing to do when I talked to my marketing team about it is they're like, I was like, I'm willing to capture all of the badass stuff that I do in my life just generally. Like yeah. I do, like I just hiked Kilimanjaro a few months ago and I go to canyoneering out in Utah now for like a, you know, a three day trip out there. We do like rappelling over like waterfalls in the desert and stuff like that. Right. I was like, I'll show people that. And I'll be like, this is my metric of what I think is cool. And if you think this stuff is cool, that's great, but I really don't care. But I'm not going to go sit in front of a mansion with a Lamborghini and be like, hey, if you just follow me, like I'll show you all the secrets. Because I was like, ain't nobody got those secrets like that. If they did, it wouldn't be on YouTube trying to tell you about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. It couldn't be more true. Uh, and you know what? And that's what social media is for, right? Share your, your fun moments, your cool moments. I'm not talking about like creating, presenting a really polished image, which is what everybody seems to try to do. But I am talking about like, oh, yeah, you know, something happened outside. Uh, you know, I suddenly saw this fire and uh, caught it on video. Okay, cool. You know, that's that's what social media is for. <laughs> but let's, yeah. let's let's leave that to the realm of social media, not business. Yeah, and maybe they maybe there's like a way to, to mix that right. Like if people really want to know more about like the person behind it, yeah. and and there's some ways that I kind of like it, and that I hate it when things are too perfect. Like when people yes. are too perfect and they get uh, like idolized, I really dislike it because I really buck against people that are like I just follow Anthony Robbins till the end of my days. And I was like, no, Anthony's really cool. He's got some really cool ideas. Yeah. He has some, you know, interesting viewpoints that come into that. But like what you just did is turned him into like a cult leader. You know, and I was like, I don't think that's what he intended. I don't think that's really beneficial for anybody, no. right? To just like blindly follow like that, right? So I really like social media for that kind of aspect of it. And it's it's one of those um if you look at anybody that really is like I forget who was talking about it on Joe Rogan's podcast um, but there's they have like some like awesome pictures of this guy on his social media right and he has got like a bajillion followers this Italian dude yeah. and uh, like some of them are really neat like scuba diving and like playing chess underwater while he was scuba diving but you could tell it was like an all day photo shoot to get that one shot right 
But the things that were actually really interesting to look at is when he was just like on his yacht dancing with his friends and his girls and, and like stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's actually him having fun and having a good time, like enjoying himself. Right. Like those are the things that we really want to see is like what are the things that we can see other people doing that was like, man, they're really – doing something that they're really taking advantage of and enjoying their life instead of trying to be like oh this is like a fake you know presentation of something that i think would be cool like in my head but it's just totally inorganic you know like to me it's just kind of repulsive like that kind of inorganic feel that now you know seemingly drives a lot of that online personality mumbo jumbo Mm. Yeah, I think what you just explained is basically bringing some reality to the personality. And I think it's right. You know, we're not just people sitting in front of cameras talking about business all day, I guess, unless you're Gary Vee. But, you know, the rest of us have real lives and people are curious and want to know in some cases. And and that kind of content can be engaged with for sure. Yeah, I think so, man. Yeah, that's. That's all I got to say about that. And that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. Anyway. Here's something I should ask about. I'm not sure how much you deal with it, but there's this whole thing about copyright. And I think for most musicians, it's actually just analysis paralysis. They're not dealing with, uh, I'm so confused about copyright and I can't figure it out. And I'm just going to sit here and on my music and never release it to anyone because I'm trying to figure out copyright. It's actually just, they're stuck in their heads about this analysis paralysis. And it's interesting that copyright law hasn't really kept up with where the music industry is going. It's trying to adapt now, but now with, you know, like you said, piracy and streaming and all this other stuff going on, the, you know, there it's, it's hopeless cause to try to try to keep up. But uh, for musicians that are concerned about copyright, like what are some of the basics? Well, I would probably, you know, say generally just follow your best practices checklist onto that. But then I would probably always resort back and is saying like, we're going to release something like release it in an individual company that owns a song. So like allow that one company to violate a copyright, right? But don't release it personally and don't release it in the company that's going to own all of your other assets. Um, and then I would just let it fly and then see what happens. Right. Because the the deal is, is that you're always going to lose way more by not taking action than you ever will by taking action as long as you take the right actions, right? So if you're doing this thing where you can take the the song and you isolate it inside of its own LLC structure, that means it can't blow back on you, right? And then you release it like that, well, the worst case scenario is is that they sue the LLC, they stop the distribution of the song, and then you have to shut that LLC down. But you didn't really lose anything, right? Like you lost like under a thousand dollars for like putting together the company and shooting it off. But that was your worst case scenario. But imagine what your best case scenario is: is that actually it flies under the radar, or nobody cares, or whatever, right? And now you have this awesome song that's able to drive all this traffic for you and create a fan base for you, right? Exactly. And your downside risk was super small. So, like, that's why I don't. I think like I'm probably one of the lawyers out there that's like, oh yeah, 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 but don't worry about the law too much. Because like I'm playing a different game. The game that I'm advocating that we play is yes, you know, like let's follow the law, right? Like don't do something crazy or fraudulent or whatever, right? Yeah. But let's make business decisions that are built upon the premise of saying, even if the worst case scenario happens, I still have a really good shot at winning and winning big, doing just exactly what I want to do. And then if I'm wrong on it, I'm like, eh, okay, well that kind of sucks, but whatever. And I can just go ahead and move on with my life. 
and it's not like a like a super like Buddhist like I'm detached from the world and horrible things happen. And I don't care. It's like really, it's like just a little bit amount of money that I end up like okay wasting, um, and and then I'm fine. So that that's that's my two cents on it. I mean, do you really, especially right now, right? So especially as we get like more and more like strength behind um, industries that are motivated around sharing information, the the downside for not releasing mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. Because you, that is, that's like, a, all you need is one to work, right? <laughs> really. And then all of a sudden now you've created like a whole, um, you know, evergreen type of revenue for yourself, you know, from your fan base, as long as you're nurturing that correctly. So um, what you can't afford to do is to get stuck in a thought process, right? Or get stuck thinking like, I have to know all the information. I really try to advocate for saying like shoot for it like once you feel about 80% good. Mm-hmm. That's really like if you if you can't shoot for it once you feel about 80% good, you might not be cut out to be an entrepreneur. Cuz you kind of have to intuit exactly where you need to go. And then to be like, "All right, that's good. As I got to do it. Let's move." Because if you wait like once you get above 80%, it's like the 80/20 rule, right? Anytime you get above 80% in anything that you're doing, like whether it's golf or books or knowledge in any area, the it's an exponential amount of energy that you have to spend to be able to increase 1%. That's why there's there's a huge amount of energy that you have to spend between like being like a 96 percentile and a 97th percentile, but almost no energy it takes to be from like knowing nothing about something and can't do it at all to like being at like 70%. Or sixty percent, right? Like if you think about like shooting a basketball or playing golf, right? Golf might be a great example of this. Is that if you don't know anything about golf at all, you can't even hit the ball, right? But then after like a day or two or like a couple lessons, you can actually get around the course, like okay, right? But to be able to be on the PGA Tour, like you need to be raised from like the time you were like two and a half years old in a diaper playing to be able to have enough time to be able to get because that's what separates the top one percent as having all that extra time doing it. so I would just say the same thing about, you know, with, with just, you know, like everything compartmentalize your downside risk, right? So that way, if you're wrong about that extra 20%, it's not catastrophic and you can recover from it. But the ability to move faster by just being saying like, I'm 80% sure and going with it and knowing that your downside risk is going to be minimized, you're going to be moving so much faster than everybody else. You're going to be moving at two to three times the speed that they're able to do. And that's, what's going to separate you from, you know, from anybody of your competitors. I love that perspective. And one way I would think about it too, is like almost the greatest form of protection is just releasing it and putting it out there and then it's under your name. So if anything goes wrong, like yeah. you say, the downside isn't that massive. Yeah. Downside is not that massive. And you'd rather, I would rather be first than try to, what do you get really? Right. Even if you have like all these like patents and, and copyrights and whatever, right. What the only thing you just bought was the ability to sue somebody else. You have, you bought the privilege of being able to spend a bunch of money to then go sue somebody else in a gamble, hoping you'll win. Mm-hmm. Right. So like in the, in the, in the new era that we're going to be seeing in there, like lawsuits will still like exist, of course. Right. But what's going to be more important than anything else is actually owning the, owning the thought space. Like who can be quickest to own the thought space? You know, or be tagged as like as that as part of their brand, um, and then the lawsuits, you know, relatively speaking, would be inconsequential for a lot of people because it's like, oh, well, I already, I already built like a whole following off of this, so I can have tons of cash to be able to go fight a lawsuit if I have to, or do whatever you need to, you know, after that. Yeah, 
and they say that roughly one million songs are released annually. Like, do you really think you're going to release something that is so revolutionary that people haven't heard of? Does it use notes? Does it use chords? Does it use scales? Uh, it falls under the category of music, and everything's been done. So, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I would just, I would just go for it. You know, I, I, I just, I've always seen it. The reason I harp on it is like, it's, you always lose by waiting. Yeah. Like almost everybody loses by waiting. And it's the saddest thing, you know, because like most of the, almost inevitably, if you talk to anybody that has like a fear of an action and then they do the action and then afterwards they look back at it and they'll say, what was I so afraid of? Mm. I should have just done it. Mm. Like, and if you look back at your own life, I bet that you will see that for anything that you were afraid of before. And it's a, it's a, it's a trippy feeling to think for myself anyway, looking back um, at Royal Legal Solutions was that uh, I never thought that I like in my mind would be able to do what I'm doing right now. Like to have a company of this scale with 43 people and like this kind of growth and how do we, you know, what do we do with that? Like I never thought I was going to be able to, I never like imagined that this would be possible. Right. Um, but the whole thing stems from kind of just being like, fuck it, let's go for it. You know, like, let's make sure we're doing everything right, but let's just go for it and we'll just keep going for it like hard. Um, and now, like, I look back at it, like thinking of where, where things were like a year ago or two years ago or three years ago or like four years ago. And you're like, how could I have not done this earlier? Hmm. That's the trippy piece, because like once yeah. you're in it, you're like, oh, this is where I should have been all along. And and what will really trip my what really trips my mind out is I think like three years from now well, I'll be like I wonder if I'll be looking at myself back in three years from now and be like how could I have thought that that was any level appreciable level of success hmm. <laughs> some small internet you know uh, legal advice and business advice you know company you know so and what was I so afraid of at that time you know the things that the things that I'm afraid of now like a year or six months from now or even maybe a month from now I'll be like ah that was nothing to be afraid of. Fine. That's huge. I mean, I was just at a three-day weekend conference, and one of the things I learned was we attach so much meaning to every event, and that's unnecessary. You know, the thing that happened happened. You had a failure in business. Well, that happened, but that doesn't mean you're a failure, right? That's the the automatic response as a human being is to attach so much meaning to that one failure that we don't move forward with the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. You know, like something happens and we make everything mean something. Yes. You know, um, my favorite uh, thing to do with that is, is when I find myself making assumptions about other people's behavior. Uh, I'll be like, you know, you know, you, you find you ever find yourself doing that where it's like so and so did that because they thought blah, 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 blah. Oh like you don't God, actually know yeah. anything, but you've created like an entire story. Yes. About like what was going on in a person's head. And then if you like go up and ask them like, hey, were you thinking blah, blah, blah when you did whatever? Most of the time they have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> because they didn't even know that it registered as something to you because they don't even care about you. Most people only think about themselves mm -hmm. for like 98% of the time, right? Yeah. And then when you ask them about it, it's like totally wrong. They're like, no, that's no, that's not what I was thinking. It was about like I just have some gas from a bad sandwich and that was <laughs> up my face. Like that's all that was about. Like, oh, shit. And like here I was like the whole time like brooding this whole convoluted story and playing out hypotheticals about what that meant and – 
oh, how, and I did that to them again, and I always do that, and how could I possibly do this to myself again? I've been working so hard at not doing that thing. You know, whatever that is, right? It's whatever the story is that we tell ourselves that just distracts us mm-hmm. and, and brings us down, you know? But, yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome that you're going to conferences like that, bro. It's like, um, those are really important. I like, I still like going to those a lot, too, because it's yeah. kind of like my check, like with my church, about like, is my head still on straight? Like, have I really sat down, got quiet, and thought about this stuff about like what I'm doing? How I'm doing. I do it now as a daily practice, of just like my meditation practice in the morning, um, mm. which actually helps a lot. Have you done that yet? Yeah, I have been trying the meditation thing, and it was especially critical in about uh, I guess it was the end of May, beginning of June for me. Like I was kind of on the verge of uh, emotional burnout, and when I recognized that, it was like daily, you know, spend once or twice a day meditating, getting out in nature, sleeping more, exercising, getting massages, everything in my power to like get back to where I was. Mm, nice. Yeah. Uh, that's super solid, man. Yeah. It, it, the, it's, it's, it's one of those deals. And I still have like a couple areas in my life that are like this, um, that I think that we can struggle with as entrepreneurs that we can push until we burn out. And then it's like, it's yeah. so much worse trying to recover. Like the recovery time of how much time that you have to spend to like let things like build back up after you deplete them all the way is super rough. Like it's worse than being out of shape physically because at least I can hit the trail and feel good. But if I burn out emotionally and I'm just like sitting around like a zombie, like half depressed, I'm like, oh my God, I got to go. And that's like, oh, I got a whole thing I got to go do. Like I gotta go, like do the, I gotta go meditate, and I gotta yoga, then I gotta spend time with friends, and I gotta go in nature, then I gotta go on vacations, and I have to have alone time. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is a non-starter. Like not doing the maintenance every day is just completely like a non-starter right now because it's too expensive no to, to hold the floor pedal to the metal for too long. I don't know how Elon Musk does it. I mean, he must he could just be like a miserable person. I have no idea, you know. <laughs> but like working sixteen hours a day, six days a week, or whatever he does, is something insane, you know. Yeah, no, I even talked to some of those folks and I kind of asked them how they did it. And they were like, well, these days I try to take the weekend off. So it's not even I take the weekend off, it's try. And then every six to eight months I take a vacation. And I said, well, that's great. I think I still would burn out trying to do that. Um, Maybe just because. Yeah, but what is their real workload like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people tell me about that where they're like, oh, I can work you know, 16 hours a day, you know, eight days a week or whatever. Right. And I I only (laughs) take one vacation a year for three days. And I'm like, all right, I want to see if you work how I work. Cause I work crazily intensely whenever I'm working. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this doesn't like, I'm not including like, you know, phone calls to my mom, (laughs) you know, like none of that's making it into my work day, you know? And I'm like, that's impossible. I want to say that it's like totally impossible with people that try to say that they actually do all that. And I don't even know if they know they're lying about it. I think that they actually believe that huh. they're working all of those hours of the day. And this is when they're telling, they're telling like a true story from their perspective. Like I'm working all day long. But if you actually shadowed them and saw what they did, I bet that they're actually not doing that as much output, uh, any more output than the rest of us that are like, no, probably like nine to 10 hours is like an absolute max for me of how much work I can really do. They're just stretching it over more time and saying they're working the whole time. I bet, I bet that would be true. Wow. So it could... I don't know who I'm betting or what I'm betting, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, that could, it could just be a story. You're right. It's, it's crazy to think about, but yeah, we don't often think about uh, what the things other people say and the, and the validity of them. Cause we're not there. We don't know. It's all secondhand opinion. Basically. We don't know. It, they could also not be lying. 
in their mind, right? Yes. They could actually believe that they're working 16 hours a day when they're doing what they're doing, and that's just how they work, right? Like, oh, like my kids are around me doing whatever, whatever, but I'm checking email like on my phone. I'm gonna count that as work. I'm like, well, not really. That's not real work. That's like half work. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's like 2% of your brain capacity it takes to go through and check email, right? I'm talking about like work work. Like what is that focused attention on actually building and tackling problems? Yes. You know, like that's where you burn out emotionally. That's where you're dry, like really scraping resources to be able to keep your mind going. Mm-hmm. And to your point right. about the... Oh, <laughs> oh go ahead. <laughs> no, I so said that's all I got on that one. Oh, okay. I think that was about as big of a rant as I could do. I like it. <laughs> and to your point about the, you know, the costliness of burnout, like I had a friend who burned herself out, I guess twice in the span of the year and a half or two years of building her business. First time she kind of take a vacation and, you know, came back fairly refreshed. But the, the second time it was like, it was really impacting her health. So I, I saw this whole drama play out and before my eyes. Right. So it's like, that's a lesson I need to apply to myself and make sure I'm not getting myself to that point. Cause without you, there's no business. Yeah. Well, that's a hundred percent right. You know, it's about like, you know, I think that it's one of those important things, just like we're talking about like LLC structures and how do you launch your music and, um, all this stuff. A lot of it has to do with like, how do you create, how do you limit downside risk? Like personally, as well as business wise, um, for how you operate, because the ha- our happiness overall as people um, increases with stability, hmm. right? And that's typically what we want. As we need, like, we need certain levels of stability to be able to allow us to like relax, create peace, and then through peace, we're able to enjoy like all the other pieces of our lives um, that come through. You know, because like life can't just be work, right? I mean, there's like 12 or 13 probably major areas of our life, like family, spirituality, friends, you know, romantic relationships, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're gonna do. Um, but unless you have like that consistency where you don't have these big whipsaws, you don't have like the internal, like emotional stability, I think to have the resources to really give all of the pieces of your life. So it's, um, I'm a big advocate for, you know, being really conscientious about limiting downside risk because you don't writing like if every month of your life is like you're playing the lottery, whether like next month is going to come or not, (laughs) um, like you can't do that for a super long time without it taking a massive toll on you. Right. And uh, I just don't think it's necessary. I mean, you could do it, right? But is it really necessary to live like that? I, I don't think so. I think there's it's probably there's smarter ways of, of being able to approach the problems, creating wealth and, and doing business. Hmm. Now, what are some of the biggest challenges you've experienced on your journey? Um, yeah, well, mine was, is, was really about like trying to stay balanced, right? Yeah. Um, because I love the work like it's a weird thing to say like for me like my work is actually one of the most fulfilling things of my life because it prevent per, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a super big nerd right like just mega nerd and that like for me the most fun things in life are actually like the biggest puzzles um so like the puzzle of what it is to build business like the type of business that i'm trying to do um or i guess that i am doing now for since it's like four years old is like one that's challenging enough that it, I think it'll reshape like an entire industry. Yeah. But so diving into what that's like as a person 
makes it like difficult because just like how you were experiencing with uh, like emotional burnout, right? Yeah. I'll get the same thing too if I work too hard for too consistently. And um, then uh, my go-to is like I'm just going to order a bunch of crap food, you know? So yeah. I, I literally gained like 30 pounds in the last like nine months. Wow. You know, and I'm st- by the way though, I'm still boxing every day and lifting three times a week. No kidding. So, <laughs> So, and I was still able to like eat myself up in weight while like gaining like strength the whole time. So I really just call it like anybody asks about it or like whatever. I'm just like, I'm just in a massive bulking phase right now. I'm just <laughs> really, just really getting huge. Uh, and then the cutting phase will come later, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it's really like a lack of balance ultimately right it's like using something else to compensate for like damage that i've done to myself right Mm -hmm. so um you know as much as like my brain wants like happy stimulation about like whatever like the easiest thing to do is to grab a drug and food is just another type of drug right i don't drink and i I don't do drugs right but like food is something i'll be like well (laughs) i bet i could eat three slices of that pizza absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know that's that's when i would say that's my big thing right now i totally get what you mean we all have our favorite drugs to turn to and what are some of the biggest victories you've experienced on your journey um yeah i mean it's tough it's tough really to say right it's because you know when you can you can you do like certain marketing pieces or whatever, right? And maybe you can double revenue in like a month, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and certain things like that will pan out. And I'm like, oh, that's really awesome, you know? Um, but now I start to, I think I start to reevaluate it because like I don't really look at like victories in my business anymore. I'm really looking for like victories in my life, right? So like I'll count every victory I can to tell you the truth. And, yeah. and like that's like a, a meta victory is that like I take the time to recognize all the things that are going right. Because so all of my day is spent focused on the hardest problems that nobody else in the company can solve. Like those are the ones that always float up to the top. So what I do is I'll start to recognize all the small victories. Like if I made it to boxing that day, did I do like my protein shake that I want to do in the morning and hydrate correctly for that? Did I take, you know, 15 minutes off? you know, every, you know, every couple hours to stretch, like while I'm working, just to make sure I'm doing like my body maintenance. A lot of my things have to do around like taking care of my body, because that's like the biggest, yeah. you know, thing that I'm working on right now, right? Um, and making that a priority, like my physical, like health needs to be a priority. So, mm-hmm. um, like, so that the, the victory for me is really in saying, like, am I taking time to really like focus on the little things? that are going to overall like make my life happier instead of just having tunneled into work. Absolutely. It all adds up. And you know, if you don't, again, if you don't have your health, <laughs> what kind of business do you have? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't really have anything cause you go on vacation and the vacation sucks cause you can't do anything. It's fun. You know, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seriously though, like if you stop like drinking and stop smoking weed and stop partying and like all of that and now you're just like a sober lifestyle, like that kind of can go with like if you're doing entrepreneurialism, like those two can go pretty can can go hand in hand a lot of times because like you just can't pay the recovery price yeah. for going out and partying. Like a lot of stuff becomes not fun anymore. Like chilling on the beach is not all that great without a couple of beers. 
<laughs> you know, or whatever, right? It's like it kind of gets boring after about 45 minutes to an hour of doing that, right? So, like, you have to have be physically be able to go do stuff that's more fun and engaging than that. And that actually takes, like, strength and flexibility and, you know, like, all the pieces of your body actually working the way you want it to. And to have, like, the stamina to be able to make it. Like, I did Kilimanjaro three months ago and massively, like, overweight for climbing the mountain, right? Um, and, you know, I made it. Like even ahead, a lot of my group members that run my marathons and stuff like that. Um, but like that was still like way more. It was way more difficult than it should have been. Hmm. Like it was non enjoyable levels of difficulty because it was just grinding through it. And I was like, man, that kind of sucks. You know, it's like a once in a lifetime kind of thing. I'm never gonna go back there and do that again. Um, and uh, I wish I would have taken the time to like really prep for it and to ready myself for it, so it would have been really enjoyable instead of just like, uh, yeah, I did it. And yeah, it was a cool experience because it was so difficult, but I didn't really enjoy it. So, you know, I think maybe that's like the line, right? Is by spending the time to focus on, you know, some of these other issues in our lives, um, whatever like those issues might be for us is like, it allows us to enjoy like all of the other things more mm-hmm. when we have like one acute issue and weight's really awesome, right? Because like everybody can see it. Like that's your issue. If you have like crippling internal depression, you get to smile and everybody's like, oh, well they look great. I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> <You know? laughs> depending on whatever you got. Yeah. I've had a lot of back and forth on this and it's very true. Like I think it is important to find some kind of sensible balance because if you're going to be building a business, odds are it's going to be very difficult for you to work out twice or three times a day and also party and also have social gatherings and also see your friends all the time. But you can, you can do it in a sensible way, for sure, on a weekly basis. Like, people would be crazy to think I work seven days a week. Oftentimes, I do. You know, some of the work ends up spilling over into the weekend. That's not unusual. But I'm not working all weekend long. So, you know, there is, uh, there is that time to, to recover and recreate as well. Yeah. No, I, I, think, you, I think you got to, you know. Um, like, the more you're working, the more stressful things get the more time I think it's important that we budget Mm. for ourselves and we like, we budget it just like we would anything else. Like if like maintenance for your car, like you don't skip oil changes, right? Like you just don't skip Mm -hmm. the stuff that you budget for yourself. Like it becomes priority number one, which is, it's weird to think about it that way because like the more you're giving of yourself to like your company and to those pieces to your life, the more that you can't sacrifice yourself to get there. Like there's a mantra that we have inside of the business community or some type of belief. I don't know if mantra is the right word, but some type of like belief that like success comes with like extreme self-sacrifice. Like, you know, and I was like, nope, (laughs) I don't think so. Like some of that is necessary. The need to sacrifice is necessary, but it's like sacrificing like other enjoyable things for the sake of this thing that actually brings me deep levels of fulfillment. You know, like I'm going to sacrifice going on the boat with, uh, you know, a bunch of chicks and my buddy that when he like invites me out to go on Saturday, Mm -hmm. I'm going to forego that because I have, there's things that I know that I need to work on. And I'm such a lunatic that I actually going out on the boat, like I won't even enjoy the boat trip unless I have those things done because it'll still be on my mind. And so then I can't even get in the moment and of like being out there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, 
you know, like learning those things about yourself, I think are incredibly important too, to like know how do you need to give to yourself. And sometimes, you know, that can be different for everybody, but just having an awareness of there is like 90% of the battle, I bet. That, that's huge. And the question I always ask is, what is it for? You know, you, oh, I'm working uh, from 6 a.m. to to 12 a.m. at night every single day and I'm building my business. And I go, what is that for? Oh, to build my business. Nope. That's not a reason. <laughs> That's not a goal. Uh, it's not measurable. You're just burning yourself out. So what's what are you, what is it for? And so most of the time there's no answer, right? If the answer is in the next three months, I can be completely free, have my debts paid off, have automated income coming in. Then I say, okay, go for it. Let's, let's make this happen. But if, if there isn't a good why behind uh, all that work, it's, it's, it's pointless. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. You got to have the why until you got the why. Don't even worry about the what or the how exactly. You know, and are there any books or resources you recommend or are there any that have helped you on your journey? Uh, I think probably some of the best, you know, books. Um, Oh, I have one that probably nobody's ever heard of before from your audience because I'm sure everybody's like, oh, read the Lean Startup and 4-Hour Workweek and stuff, right, all the time. Of course, um, yeah. But, yeah, you should check out this book called Conversational Intelligence. Hmm. I forget who the author is, um, but in this this book, it was like the one book that allowed me to like really understand people <laughs> like in a, in a totally different light. And it's been with the one book that's kind of like unlocked a lot of keys for me of like what's going on with people and also helped me see when um, – people are really like masking their personalities. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know how people can like put on personas and you're like, Oh, like after reading that book, I just became really acutely aware of like, Oh, that's a persona you're putting on. And then like trying to like dig in and try to find out and chip away at like, who is that person and watching them that like push back at that to be like, Nope, I don't show anybody that you just get my persona. And as this book called conversational intelligence is about like how to like, how, how do you, how do you s- just to give you a better framework for, for seeing people and like what they do and why they, you know, which type of strategies people are using in different circumstances. Mm. Um, I don't know. Did that make sense? I think that's like my off the cup explanation of what that was. Cause I didn't really prepare for that. But um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. but check it out. You'll really like it. If you like to nerd out about stuff, it's really cool. I think it actually makes a lot of sense in light of what we've been talking about, which is all of these stories that we create and the meanings we attach to all the events. So that's actually a great recommendation. I believe the title is Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Great Extraordinary Results by Judith E. Glazer and Karen Saltis. So there it is. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Got it. Nailed it. Well, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you for your time and generosity. Is there anything else I should have asked? Um, no, no, I think we're good, man. I'm feeling pretty complete about this one. It's great <laughs> chatting with you, getting it all out. I never get a chance to just get it all out anymore. Just blow it out here on the podcast. I know. And that's what this podcast is for. You know, so many are very structured and let's get it under 30 minutes. I, I get where people are coming from. I totally understand. You know, you got to test your marketing and figure out what works for you. But I like having these, uh, informal discussions as well. Yeah. Way more fun. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sure. again for joining me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, brother. We'll awesome. be in touch. All right. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurhq.com for show notes and other goodies. And leave us a review in iTunes to help us spread the word. 